Welcome back to the Kingdom of Pavement podcast. My name is Amy Sudo, and I'm one of the co-founders of Kingdom of Pavement. And for this podcast, I have a special guest, actress Carolina Benetti. You may recognize Carolina from one of her many roles, including on SEAL Team CBS or as a presenter for After Buzz TV. I am so excited to have Carolina on the podcast because I think that she offers a really unique perspective on how to carve a life for yourself out here in Los Angeles as an actress, maintain a sense of positivity and sanity in a business that is so out of control, the importance of networking, and how to get some of those elusive jobs, including both commercial work and fiction work. She is awesome. I am just so impressed by her hustle and so, so honored to have her on the Kingdom of Pavement podcast. And you can also follow her on Instagram at at LinaBean113. That's at L-I-N-A-Bean, B-E-A-N-113. Without further ado, here is the podcast episode with Carolina Benetti came out to LA because I grew up doing a lot of theater and I knew that I wanted to do film. Um, so I was like, well, you have to get started young, except then I also realized that like for me and what I wanted to do, the CW shows were not my avenue. Like when I was, I moved out here, I was 25 um, and I remember auditioning for like 90210 and it was like hot waitress. And I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> this is not why I left New York. Um, so that was kind of, and then it was, and I looked like a baby. Like when I was 25, I didn't look like I was 25. I looked like I was 16 pushing seven <laughs> at best. So, um, you know, it took a long time to like outgrow that. But in the meantime, I'm, you know, I'm trained as a professional dancer. Uh, and I had done a lot of dancing. That's how I did. That's how I got my AA card was because of dance because I was cast on shows that way. And then when I came out here, I ended up doing music videos and that translated into commercials. Um, and it all happened like pretty quickly for me. And I did a short film that went to can it was the first thing i ever auditioned for ever what? the first thing you've ever auditioned first for? thing i ever auditioned <laughs> for in film it was sag i was not sag and not yet at that point and i got it and um i think i booked the commercial like two weeks later and then i joined sag so by the time we started filming the project i was a must join but i <laughs> i didn't have the money <laughs> um but it was a small project so I did, I did it anyways and got paid. It was $175 a day. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. For your first um, project that you ever auditioned yeah, for? Yeah. Like, that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, no, it was. I was like, I'm a paid actor. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, 175 is not paid. But, you know, it, it's I a, had it's a just start. moved yeah. It was a great start. And then it ended up going to Cannes a year later, which was insane. No. <laughs> no, they didn't have the budget. And let me tell you, getting paid a whopping $175 doesn't buy you plane tickets to Cannes. Does not buy you a plane ticket to Cannes. And it also does not pay for your hotel or anything. So no. Um, but it went. Um, and it went the year that Natalie Portman was uh, one of the judges. And she gave a glowing review of my performance. So wow. I'm just going to take that to my grave. Yeah. just Regardless like of what else happens in my career, like that happens. <laughs> Yeah, just on your tombstone, just put her re glowing review of your performance <laughs> and it'll be perfect. Because she had to watch everything, which I'm sure was painful. But yeah. the one thing that she said about this short was like a nice thing about me. And I remember it was on a French website and for like the longest time I had it. And now I don't know where it is. 
So it's gone and it probably it's never gone. happened. That's okay. That's a figment right. of my imagination. <laughs> it's just all, all <laughs> fever dream. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't go. So who knows? They could yeah. have lied. <laughs> For me, a lot of things happened immediately. And then it was like a train wreck and nothing happened. It was like all of this work right up front and then dead. Uh, for like a year and a half. It was really crazy. And then I ended up dancing on Glee. So then that took up a lot of my time. That was also like a crazy thing. So I, I got brought on to be Leah Michelle's photo double. And then I was just being an idiot and dancing around with uh, one of the actors on stage. And one of the producers casually came over and was like, oh, do you dance? And I was like, yeah, I did blah, 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 blah. And then like, I don't know, like a month later, I got a phone call and it was like, can you come in for this dance thing? And I don't even think I auditioned. I think I just went to rehearsal and got the job. I like went to rehearsal. I didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't really know what was going on. I was like, yeah, I can do this. Weird. <laughs> and then they were like, okay, great. So we're shooting on these days. Come on. And then I, yeah. I'm curious, especially from an outsider, as somebody who doesn't know a ton about the acting track, other than what I've heard, like those seem like huge breaks. But can you talk a little bit about what it's like to like how momentum works as an actor and how like how do you keep it going? Like how do you parlay that into other jobs? Is that all? I mean, it seems like it's all out of your control. But like, can, like what? Like, how do you deal with the fact that so much of this is out of your control? And how do you kind of forge a career, even with all of the insanity, insanity of not knowing like what comes next and how to like hop from one thing to another? It just seems like madness, the kind of career track that you're in, um, but also really exciting. Um, no, I mean, it is really exciting. Um, I don't I have like a very deeper voice. I feel like I sound unexcited about everything. I'm just from New York. Um, <laughs> no, I was really excited. Um, and I had a great manager at the time who left the business because her mother was terminally ill. Uh, so she went home. Um, and I feel like she really got me. So getting a team that really gets you is really important. Like I'm obsessed with my commercial agents. They're so great. Um, I signed with them this year and I haven't booked with them yet even though i've booked two commercials this year it wasn't through them which i'll talk about that in a second um but they're phenomenal like they're the most supportive team i've ever had and i want to replicate that magic in my theatrical and in my voiceover career but so much of the work you do in hollywood even when you have representation is through word of mouth it's mm -hmm. through who you know. It's through who wants to work with you, who's seen your work. Actually, it's not through who you you know. It's through who knows you. Mm. Like, who's met you? Who's worked with you? Who wants to work with you? Um, and that kind of leads up to it because something I find very interesting is, like, in New York, when I was auditioning for theater, they took everything into account on my resume. I would get seen for stuff based on the dance history that I had, based on like commercials I had done, based on all that stuff. That doesn't really happen in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. In LA, it's like your commercial resume is separate from theatrical. Theatrical doesn't care. You could be like, I've booked 120 commercials and they'd be like, mm, but you don't have a series regular, so we just aren't sure about you. It's crazy. Yeah, because nuts. To, to even book one commercial is phenomenal because there's so many commercial actors. 
Um, especially because most agents, I feel like, take people on commercially uh, more readily than theatrical. Um, and the same goes for voiceover. Like, I've worked so much in voiceover completely without an agent. Wow. Everything I've done with voiceover has been word of mouth. And I have to thank Wolfie, my loop group coordinator, who I looped Vita with because he believes in me so much and he has passed my information on to so many session directors who've listened to my reel and brought me in for projects based on his glowing recommendation and my previous work. But he gave me my first job because I took his class and he saw me and he really liked me in class and he called his uh, producing partner who does the looping with him and was like, you need to come see this girl. I think we need to hire her for the show. So they hired me while I was still in the class, but at the time I couldn't tell anybody. So I was just like going to class, but also working on a show. <laughs> um, but it was really good because I learned so much. And ever since then, he's been such a champion in my corner. I owe him so much thanks. Um, and before that I had done work too. And it was the same thing where it was like a, a casting director had seen me. And she was like, have you ever done voice work? And I was like, no, but I do musical theater. <laughs> and she was like, perfect, come on in. And um, I, I ended up, that's how I kind of started doing scratch voices. And that was like another thing where I got really lucky that I did scratch voice for something that became a long-term ongoing series where scratch voices is where you go in and you get paid a day rate, no residuals, but it is SAG. Um and you kind of bring the characters to life for the animators to animate. That's how they match all the movements and stuff because they're not going to have the main cast come in and go over it again and again and again and again to do the the voice. But they will with scratch voices because that's your job. And they're kind of like refining the script. They're refining the moments. And they also pair that with mocap actors. Oh, cool. They're like motion capture where yeah. they actually like I've never seen it because that's like another avenue of the business, which I've never done motion capture. I have no idea about that. But I know that it exists. Um, same day rate, except that you wear like the suit and you act everything out. Wait, you get to wear then, the motion capture? The one we no, no, I've back. never okay. done it. I've never done. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's cool. That's another cool. No, cool job, but, but that is, it's super cool. I would love yeah. to do it, but I've never done it. And that's like another aspect of animation is a lot of times, depending on the studio and how much of a budget they have, they have actors actually like acting out the scene, sometimes in motion capture, sometimes not. Mm-hmm. I think it depends on the project. Uh, so there's like the scratch voice artist, there's a mocap artist, and then Finally, there is the lead cast that they hire to do the voices, which is usually, it used to be like voice actors, but now a lot of actors are taking their celebrity and keeping that momentum going by voicing characters, especially with Disney, and they're one of the biggest animation studios. So that's something that you see a lot is um, these jobs that used to go to voice actors are now going to celebs. Hmm. so that's a thing too it's like narrowing the market and like a lot of film stars are taking like leading roles from um limited series and stuff where it used to be like more open to new faces and Mm -hmm. it still is because there's so much content but a lot of it too is because a lot of these people got sick and tired of everyone else being entire in charge of their career and they're making their own content so of course they're giving it to their friends Mm. yeah no And I think it's really interesting how you kind of, you're in so many different 
aspects of acting, whereas I feel like most of us don't realize that there's things like scratch voices and we don't realize how much animators rely on actors to help them with that process, which I think is really fascinating. Um, and I also think it's really great how entrepreneurial you are, not only with all of like the fact that you're so multi-talented, you're a dancer, you're an actor, you do voiceover, but you also do things like After Buzz Television. And, and I'm kind of curious in terms of your advice for people who are moving out here and wanting to get into acting, do you encourage them to kind of do all these diversify yeah unless you want to be a waiter for the rest of your life <laughs> diversify 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 um you know i have friends who have had a lot of success theatrically and it blows my mind that when they're in a two-year dead zone because that happens you can go from being a series lead it doesn't matter you can go through two years of not working like that 18 months, two years, three years, four years, and then you get another big show or you get a big franchise or you don't. That happens all the time. And it's very common um, if you're not making your own content, if you're not producing your own content, um, you have to diversify. And I find that the actors that work the most are the ones that were like, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play the commercial game and I'm also going to play the voiceover game. Um, and also it just like... Um, sharpens your instrument i feel like when i go in for commercials first of all commercials are a whole animal um they're definitely a look you know it, it blows my mind when actors are like oh, i really want to book commercials but i hate them and i'm like well you can't <laughs> hate them if you want to book them mm. you have to watch them just like you're going to watch the show you're going in for you should watch the commercial that you're going in for like what is their tone what is their vibe like I'm going in today for an approachable young mom of a car company that's huge. So I looked up all their current campaigns from this year that had like families to see what are their color palettes? What do they look like? Dude, it is so like Midwest wholesome mom. <laughs> and I bet you there's going to be girls that walk in there today who are like sex cells and their midriff is out and they're in tight <laughs> pants and like you look hot, but you are selling to the Midwest. Mm. that is not what the advertisers are going to bring back. And that's not to say that I'm going to get a call back just because I dressed right. You also have to, you know, do the part, but I feel like it really strengthens you in improv. So if you want to do commercials, you have to get improv training. Mm. Like casting directors just, they really don't bring people in who don't have improv training for most commercials unless they're specialized. Like if you're going in for a Nike commercial, like I did a Nike commercial a few years ago because I have dance experience and they wanted like bar type situation. So it was like a Pilates bar, mm -hmm. like pure bar, or one of those things, um, which my left hip clicked for like a year and a half after that because we only shot on my left side. Oh, wow. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it was really bad. And one of my friends did one of the other spots and she's like, yeah, she's like, you guys were the first day. And apparently because you guys were in pain, they had like a a sports therapist the rest of the shoot. So oh. you're welcome. My pain gave me your relief. Um, and those are like things that people don't realize, you know. Um, so for specialized stuff like that, yeah. Like if you're like a precision race car driver, or if you're a boxer, or something like that, then maybe that can be your avenue to get in and you won't need the improv. But generally speaking, for commercials, you absolutely have to take improv. Um, can you speak a little bit about the kinds of training that you kind of 
get like how are you like what kind of classes did you first take when you were kind of transitioning from dancing to acting and then kind of what do you do for continue training like what does that look like because I, I assume you must be constantly learning and trying to hone your skills or do you kind of learn on the job like what does that look like for you all of it um I mean I'm from New York City so first of all I think that that puts me at a gross advantage because we have access to everything mm. of the best like we're Broadway yeah. So I grew up going to dance teachers who danced around the world with like any dance company that you think of, that you think that you know, that you've heard of. They were there. They did it. And now they teach, you know, they have families, whatever. You take like these big dance workshops. And then I was really lucky. I went to school for high school in um, upstate New York. And um, Mary Tyler Moore was our drama school bursar. <laughs> You're kidding. <laughs> no. And um, so was Marvin Hamlish. He was in charge of like the choral programs. And wow. Marvin Hamlish was like one of the youngest, like um, Broadway, um, like he's a legend. He's just a legend. Like, I don't even know what to say. The man, he composed and put together some of the best scores from Broadway of like our generation. Um, so to have him come in and he would do like a yearly AIDS benefit and he would come in and like teach us like arrangements and like singing and like all this stuff. Um, and on top of that, we used to do like dramatic retreats where we would go like to upstate, upstate New York and we would have like the best Broadway teachers come down. We would have teachers from Juilliard and, um, you know, the Tisch school and like mm -hmm. all that come and like working Broadway directors come and like do stage combat. And like when you're, 14 starting out doing that of course you're going to catapult into like working theater mm -hmm. so for me dance started when i was really young and i think i did my first play when i was eight and i was like oh shit <laughs> you mean i can dance and sing and pretend to be somebody i'm i'm sold <laughs> so <laughs> my first love was musical theater and i started in that um i did musical theater for a really long time um, I think I was 12 when I realized that plays existed without singing. And I was like, why? <laughs> why is there not a dance number? <laughs> yeah, I think I, like, I think I was like 12 or 13. And uh, we went into the city to like watch this play. And I was like, where? Where's the, the dance number? What it's like is very this? long act without a dance number in here. <laughs> yeah, it's like those realizations that you make. is Because I was poor. So like if it wasn't in my school program, I wasn't getting exposed to it. Um, and my parents aren't in the business, so they had nothing to do. They were like our strange child. We don't know what to do <laughs> with her. Um, so, you know, that kind of really puts you at an advantage. And I'm not the only one. Like, I know, like, plenty of people in New York who, like, went to school and they're like, oh, yeah, like, Eddie Murphy used to, like, come by and, like, give – because he lives in New York. And, like, they yeah. would, like, all these people that would give back to their schools or, like, even working actors who would go back to their high school, their middle school, elementary school, and, like, talk to the kids about working in the industry and, like, what it was. And I remember having, like, uh, workshops like that, too, where these actors who are – you know, not A-listers, but well-known, like, working actors would come and give, like, workshops where they would talk. So it started really young. Um, and now I think I've lost track of the original question, which that sounds like me. <laughs> uh, just no on a, worries. Like, word Edu uh, education, which it seems like you, you started really young and you had the top-tier teachers and instructors. And I think that's really... Oh, how I continue. Yeah, like, how do you, how do you keep, like... 
how, and I'm kind of curious because it's so competitive out here. Like, how do you, do you keep up other training? I think it's really interesting what you said about improv. Like it's, I mean, how do you, what kind of different trainings do you pursue or like, how do you learn on the job or how do you kind of keep your skills? Sharp? I mean, you're always learning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you should always be reading. The mm. best thing you can do for yourself as an actor is to read, read scripts, read plays, read as much as you can. Um, you learn so much from reading because if watching TV made you a great actor, then everybody would be a great actor. <laughs> okay. That unless you're watching it with intention, you're not learning. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Because as a writer, I'm sure you watch TV and it, you watch it differently. Yeah. You, I like, I'll find myself like, oh, I wonder how they did that angle or like, oh, that was a really, I wonder how many takes, how many coverages they do mm-hmm. for that. Like it becomes a more technical viewing. Um, no, improv I did, um, probably like the greatest gift that I got when I first moved out here was I had great commercial agents and they were like, you should take an improv class. So I took the groundlings Mm -hmm. and I got to work with Mikey Day and Guy Stevenson and like Mikey Day went on to like go and work with SNL. So that was really great. Um, but just getting to learn from these people, the groundlings is a really serious, um, improv trope and like i still am interested in taking ucb but there's only so many hours and so much time in the day right yeah can you talk a little bit about how you got your first commercial agents because i think that that's a that's a big hurdle for a lot of people like how did that how did that come about they found me oh wow i didn't do anything that's amazing again i told you i moved here and everything happened like super fast for me and then Mm -hmm. it didn't (laughs) I've I've heard that from a, a bunch of other actor friends. Like I feel it feel like it's tough because like when you move here, there's momentum, and then it's just kind of keeping that going. I feel for all of us, we're all trying to figure out as creatives like how to create momentum, even though it seems like you're doing a lot of cool stuff, and you've got um, some really cool stuff happening with on Netflix. Yes, yeah, I was um, I was really thrilled. Again, no voiceover agent, word of mouth. Um, my loop group coordinator is now session directing as well. So like as people that you work with, they work up, they they move up, you move up too. And he started session directing with this company and uh, they were casting 22 female voices for series regular for this big prison show called The Yard on Netflix. Uh, it's originally Turkish called Avlu. And um, he sent her my reel and he was like, give her a follow-up email. And I did. And the casting director listened to my voice and called me and was like, we want to offer you this job. So my first ever dubbing job was a 12 episode series regular. That's so crazy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It was really crazy. Um, But that's because I had already been working Yeah, because I took that class because I found out about looping inadvertently. Can you talk a little bit about what looping is for people who maybe don't know? Well, looping is group ADR. So mm-hmm. it's additional recorded dialogue. Um, a lot of times, like if you're watching a TV show and the actors are listening to the radio or they're watching a TV show, that's looping. If there's a bunch of extras that are in the background, but you can hear them with like air quotes, I say, you can mm-hmm. hear them like the crowd talking. That's loop group. If like somebody's walking out of their stoop and they're talking on their cell phone and then you hear off to the side like, hurry up and cross the street. Like that's looping, like to give atmosphere so that it's not like a dead bubble where it's just the lead actors talking and everything Mm -hmm. you talk about is like very in the time. It has to be timely. It has to make sense to the time, the place, the, all of it. So you have to do a lot of research because Hmm. you don't get to watch the episode or get the script in advance. You show Hmm. up the day of and you have a set of parameters. It might be like 1920s, New York city, um, spring, 
So if you've got 1920s New York City, when you pick your dialogue and like the quick things that you're going to throw around, you can't be talking about something that happened in December of 1920 because it hasn't <laughs> happened yet. Huh. And all that gets mixed into the track. And they do take you, it really seriously. Do you get a script at all for with that or just make no. it up on the spot? No, that's improv again. Wow. Improv, I think, is one of the greatest um, tools an actor can have mm. is improv training for sure. That's and that and that also kind of dovetails with what, what we were talking about in terms of re having to read a lot and having to have like this base of knowledge beyond just watching TV, which I think is really fascinating. I think that as an average TV viewer or a writer, I just assume that people, you know, get scripts to come up with that background music, but I think that's or background, you know, dialogue. And I think that's really fascinating that that's kind of falls on you as the actor to also and essentially essentially write your own dialogue. Also making up what the extras are saying and sometimes they look like they are saying crazy shit in the background. <laughs> oh my god, if you're doing extra work, please. Can you pretend to be in the scene for the love of the voice actors <laughs> yes. who have to come and dub you? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> As we've seen scene before and it's like she's clearly saying I love butter. And you're like, I can't say that. Like something random like that. And you're like, I'm in a political rally. (laughs) Why? What are they talking about at this table? It's a political rally about dairy and the dairy industry. (laughs) No, it's not. But you're like, all right, I got to think. And then you have to think of a word that the mouth flap would look similar. But they can mix in to to like, you know, and it's never going to take precedence over what the lead characters are saying. Right. Um, But man, yeah. Like, for people doing extra work, what you say does matter. Yeah. It no, does it's matter. Every, every part of the process matters because it can be distracting. As we saw in Game of Thrones, one coffee cup left on set <laughs> ruins, ruins everything. Like, it ruins the believability of the world. So it's like every part of the process is important so that we don't get a coffee gate. Starbucks um, was like best free advertisement <laughs> ever. I mean, conspiracy theory. Starbucks made that happen. <laughs> they, they paid uh, paid an intern. They probably yeah. did. I wouldn't put it past them. They were like, we come in for that ad revenue. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your favorite project that you've done so far that you can talk about um, that? Because I, I know you can't share some things, but like of the things that you can share, like what was one of your favorite projects that you've done out here so far? Mm, I mean, my main goal is to like work in film. So I think definitely the first project I ever did, I'm always going to hold like near and dear because how crazy is that yeah. to do a project and it went to Cannes. Definitely. That's nuts. Um, So, and I played um, a young teen who falls into drugs and then ODs on Coke. So, yeah. But those are the kind of stories I want to tell. Yeah. I want to tell the darker side of humanity. It's something that doesn't bother me and I understand it. I feel like I really get why some people would fall into like the darkest urges, like how these demons can really torture you. And I find that really interesting. Um, also like this culture of constantly being okay to be okay mm. and like happy. And it's like, look, I'm all for like positivity and positive energy and meditating and all that. But I feel like it's gotten to the point where it's like a, a toxicity in the positivity. Hmm. Like it's okay to not be okay. Yeah. Um, and I'm actually writing a show about that. So it's something that hasn't come to fruition, um, but it's titled Bits and Pieces. And it's kind of a show about how it's okay to not have it all together. Hmm. And that sometimes things get bad and then they get worse. 
this fairy tale that we're fed where like things constantly get better is not real. Yeah. Um, so, and I mean, not in like a, a dire way, but it's like, this is human. It's okay to be human and to have things go wrong. And there's no, um, magical fairy that shows up and like tells you this, but uh, yeah, I mean, I'm also like really proud of my commercials. Like I work really hard to be super professional on set. Um, so this year it was really cool to do, I shot a commercial in April that I booked in February to to give you an idea because it was a direct offer. So Mm -hmm. I had done a commercial with this company two years before and they asked me back for a new campaign that they did this year. And that happens. That's cool. Um, And then also I did a a Ross commercial last year and I had a rebuy on that. So it re-aired this year. So that's why I was like, oh, I'll talk about it later is the more commercials you book, the more production companies and directors you've worked with who are more likely to come and ask for you a second go around if they like working with you. So also, like, if you want to get into commercials, don't look at it as like a one and done. You should be building those relationships the same way that you're building your theatrical relationships and your voiceover relationships because they matter. Mm -hmm. And I think everybody takes their job really seriously on set. Like everyone wants to make good content. I don't think anybody makes a project thinking they're making bad content. Yeah. And I mean, you're, you're, everybody on set is honing their skills for the next project. And like these people watch these commercials all over the, the world sometimes. And I think that it's an art form in itself. Great commercials leave an impact and it's, it's still like part of our art and still part of that. And I think that that's really impressive. First of all, that you're being asked back by these people and that you're, you're being, it happens a lot. Yeah. I'm not alone in this. Like I yeah. have a lot of friends who are working commercial actors and like, one of my girlfriends just booked her 11th commercial this year. Nice. It's insane. That's crazy. She's killing it. Yeah. But I think five or six of them were repeat directors who asked for her. Awesome. Yeah. So, no, yeah. That's just, it just speaks to, the, to that testament of building relationships. And I think it's such a smart strategy that sometimes people overlook in terms of just getting that one big break. It's not. It's it doesn't not. sound like it's, that's it's how that works for, for anybody. Anyone. <laughs> it's not for. That's what I really love about Tiffany Haddish is mm-hmm. that they were like, you're an overnight success. She's like, I've been here for 20 <laughs> years. And it's like, no, but you have. That's yeah. the thing is. People don't realize like how long actors are working for, Mm -hmm. for so long. Um, But that's actually something I'm really proud of is um, I did a co-star on SEAL Team's mid-season finale. Congrats. Thank you. That was, um, that was exciting, but I only had one line. Mm. I had one line and then they were going to kill me. That was my (laughs) character. Um, But when I got in there, the producer was like, um, and the stunt coordinator, they were like, "Um, I feel like this could be a better scene. So do this and let's just do it like this in rehearsal. Let's just change it. And um, so we did. And when it was with all the lead actors of it. I got to work with um, Neil Brown Jr., um, Angel, as many know him from <laughs> David <laughs> Boreanaz, and who was a producer on the show. Mm-hmm. Again, actors producing their own stuff. Yeah. And Max Thoreau. And Max was like, I don't understand why my character isn't talking to her because I speak like 27 languages, but I don't speak Spanish. He's like, this is stupid. (laughs) So they changed it and they gave him more lines, which also gave me more lines. So we actually improved that whole scene. And I got like an opening like three or four minutes out of what was a 30 second booking. It Hmm. turned into a whole thing. Um, so just like being open on set and also like bringing your A game and being like able to change things. I also had to like 
heavy cry for 45 minutes straight <laughs> to get coverage from every angle. It was a, it was a lot. And I felt, I always feel like a weirdo because the crew kept coming over in between and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, no, no. <laughs> because it's really hard to hold that energy. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's why it's so important to have like your toolkit and to know like what works to for you because everybody's different. I'm not going to sit here and tell people how to do it because what works for me mm-hmm. might do nothing for the actor sitting next to me. Yeah, but it also speaks to the the power of your improv training to be able to be in that scene and improv that whole thing with all of these lead actors and and just kind of create that. Mm-hmm. And we were it, all riffing like that whole scene. I think there was like one line that was scripted. That's incredible. Everything that's, else was. And I, I don't think people people realize that. It like, happens all the time. Yeah, especially for like on the writer side, we just assume that with, for writers who haven't worked on TV shows, you don't realize how much changes throughout the whole process. You just assume that the script is just what gets shot. But when you mm-hmm. actually start working. <laughs> television they're like oh no 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 (laughs) the actors do so much heavy lifting uh and i'm actually kind of curious like what do you think that from like a standard like viewing audience what is the one thing or kind of collection of things that people don't understand about your career and kind of like what it takes to be an actor especially a working actor (laughs) (laughs) i know there's a lot um You really have to get comfortable with failure. Mm. So like on the surface, it looks like I book so much stuff. But Amy, I can't even begin to tell you the amount of stuff I get rejected from. Mm -hmm. It's insane. Mm -hmm. My rejection levels are insane. Yeah. And anybody who's working a lot will tell you, yeah, the rejection is so high. And I'm... I'm human. I come home and I cry about it just like anybody else and I get upset and I'm definitely the dramatic actor. It's like, is it ever going to happen for me or is this my plateau? Is this it? (laughs) I've totally been there and I'd be doing everyone a disservice if I'm like, I'm just like so happy with where things are going. And, (laughs) you know, I listen to interviews where actors are like that. I'm like, that's not true. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you're having time. I've had so many temper tantrums with Mm -hmm. myself. Yeah. Um, But I'm also kind of mean to myself, which I'm trying to work on. Um, Mm -hmm. But it's also just like finding your space and like knowing that you have to know your worth before anybody else will see your worth. And you have to have the confidence in your talent, which is why I am in class and not improv. Like I take an ongoing scene class with working actors and I see it, man. Like there's people that did a Sundance movie last year and it was huge and won awards and they haven't worked. They haven't worked in a year and it doesn't mean that their talent isn't amazing it just it's just the nature of the beast when you're not in control of the project yourself um and that's i think that's why like honestly if there's anything else that you want to do besides acting do it Mm -hmm. because it is the highs are so high that you really have to hold on and appreciate them because the lows will bring you lower than you ever thought you could go um and that's That's the truth. And also acting is a very lonely business. Nobody can learn your lines for you. Nobody can make these creative decisions for you. You have to do it by yourself. And a lot of times like you're on set and you can go and you can watch them work, but everyone's in their own world trying to create the best material possible. So you have to show up with your A game. And that means like being again alone. A lot of it is being alone, but it's also having a team of people around you and friends around you who are like creatives, who get it, who can actually help you in the sense that like they're supportive, they get it. It's not just like a one way um, friendship is like finding the people that you trust with your self tapes and that you trust with 
um, with material that you're workshopping with what you, with what you go through that you can talk to. Because the thing is, is my family, they love me to death, Mm -hmm. but I can't call and talk to them about my failures because they don't get it. So it's really important to stop venting to your family because they're not going to get it unless they work in the industry. You, You have to find a community that understands um, like the mental gymnastics that go through this job. Definitely. No. And I think that's really the emotional burden that this takes is just, there's so much work to be done on that side. Um, one topic that we're going to be covering in this, this upcoming issue of kingdom of pavement is this idea of what do we do when we have no control over our destiny? So what do you kind of do throughout your career and kind of how you approach every day, knowing that ultimately you don't have the say in who gets cast. Like, what do you kind of, what kind of things do you do to, to retain that agency in your own life when you have no idea who they're going to cast or, or what that's going to look like? Um, my friend Maddie said something really interesting to me the other day. He, he signed with CAA, um, two years ago, year and a half ago, a while, a little while ago, not too long, but he was like, I became obsessed with the idea of becoming known. He's like, because I found that my talent was good, but nobody knew who I was. So I kept losing jobs to people who people knew who they were. So he's like, I got it into my head that I just wanted people to know who I am. And now I have this like disease (laughs) where I want to be both undeniable because I feel like, and I get this all the time. I get it at least once a month that I'm just not that attractive. Mm -hmm. And so I threw that out the window. I was like, man, screw these people and their ideology of what they find is attractive for these characters and for like whatever look they're doing. I really believe that you have to be undeniable in your talent so that it doesn't matter what you look like because what you bring to the table is untenable. Like nobody can take it away from you and nobody can sit there and be like, but her fate, it doesn't matter because the character is at their feet and you're Mm -hmm. giving them what they want because they don't know what they want most of the time. Um, But also it is true, like in Hollywood specifically, because different places cast differently. Like I feel like in Europe, you see a lot of um, actors are cast based on their talent. And in Hollywood, it is the beauty monster. Like it is these perfect impossible faces or you're such a character that you're like super obese or you're like the person with like the half shave head or the like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. there's a shtick that goes with it. Um, but that doesn't bring you longevity in a career. So just like go to bed at night with the knowledge that like what you're working on is working towards longevity and just be the best that you can give in your craft. But also I don't believe in the word no. I think that when people say no, you're just talking to the wrong person. Hmm. Oh, that's so, yeah. So it's like bad customer service. I'm sorry. If you're saying no, then you're clearly not the person I need to talk to. <laughs> Who else can I talk to to get to where I need to go? That's the like New Yorker in me. I'm like, can you move? Because you're standing in my way. I have things to do. Um, and with what you asked, also like creating my own work has been some of the most like liberating and terrifying experience in the world because I fully intend on selling this with myself as the main character. That's the way to do it. If you don't see yourself on TV, write yourself on TV. Mm. Write yourself on film. Do it. One of my friends produced a film that just got bought by Lionsgate. And he's a leading guy in it. And he's fantastic. And now he's working on another film. Um, But it took him like five years to fully like bring this feature to life. And then like another two years to sell it. 
Hmm. That's like a seven-year process. Yeah. And people are only going to see the movie release and be like, oh, well, well he, it took him a long time. Totally. No, nothing is overnight. Um, so it's just um, – it's one of those things where you have to like really be comfortable with digging in and knowing that it's in for the long haul, not – the immediate gratification and you can't think like oh well i booked this and i did this it you always it doesn't matter what you did it's what you're gonna do next and that involves your craft too like i can't just think like well i grew up doing musical theater i'm good no way no way (laughs) i've changed so much as a person and like growing from like a child into an adult and all of those things they change who you are they change how you act they change how you move how you speak how you think about the world all of that goes into your craft so you have to look at that and like realistically put that together because i think that every great performance has a little bit of you inside of it because you're finding what resonates within you with that character and that's what brings the truth to the character hmm. for me hmm you have you have such a wise view <laughs> on acting it just it just shows that your experience kind of shines through and kind of everything that you're talking about in terms of the philosophy of acting and how you approach it, which I think is phenomenal. And I'm excited for you to create your own work. I think that's, that's phenomenal. I think I'm terrified. No, I, it's terrifying. Like it's, <laughs> I'm, I, I think it's terrifying enough to put yourself in front of camera and to have to, you know, bear the burden of making a character believable, but to now also create your own work too. That just seems like such a huge undertaking, but I'm also excited for you because once again, you're, you're kind of injecting more of yourself into your project and what you're doing and I think that's awesome and and just also yes a, ter- a terrifying leap but also just a really great like experience for you so I'm really excited for you for that it feels really good to have control yeah do you it know does. what I mean like Absolutely. the words on the page are mine yeah and I went to school for writing so I can write <laughs> yeah no this is I'm excited for you and I'm excited for everything that's to come oh you asked me about hosting too oh yeah let's talk about hosting I want to hear. I want to hear more about that because I think that's really, really fascinating, fascinating work. To be honest, hosting is never something I thought about or even thought I'd be interested in. It just kind of fell in my lap. So it all started because my friend Stuart owns uh, the website Dirty and Thirty, which is a super popular blog here in LA. I was not thirty when I started writing <laughs> for it. Uh, one of our mutual friends introduced me to Stuart. Brazzle and she um she's one of the co-founders of it and she was like yeah send me a writing sample and so I started blogging just for fun and I literally had written one blog and she called me and was like hey so because she's a tv host and she was hosting uh for KTLA for the Oscars and she was like so I have this other carpet I also was asked to host but I can't make it can you do it and I was like well I've never um I've never, <laughs> I've never done that. And she was like, no, you're going to be great. It's going to be great. You'll be, you, you'll be fine. And so I show up to this big fancy Oscar party <laughs> in an Alice and Olivia dress. I still have it. And um, I started just talking to the actors. Like every, I felt like everyone um, was kind of like fangirling or they had like really intrusive personal questions. But I was so excited about the projects that I was just talking to everyone about their movies. And so all these actors started stopping for me and like giving me these really long interviews. And we were just talking about process. And um, I didn't know I could go inside. Like I didn't know, I didn't know anything. And uh, Stuart came to the party after she was done with it. And she was like, why are you still out here? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't know what I was supposed to do. I didn't want to like mess up. She's like, no, let's go to the party. And so I went inside and everything was free, which was like crazy. Um, 
I was like, what do you mean we can just take this? And she's like, you can just take it. <laughs> like, it's for you. Um, so that was crazy to have like my first red carpet interview experience be a big private Oscars That's party. so cool. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. <laughs> and I, did, I just talk to people because I am a conversationalist. I always have been. I love speaking to people and hearing their points of view. And I feel like if you stop and you listen – you can learn so much from people. Um, yeah, and then it just kind of became a thing where I kept getting asked by different companies to do red carpets. And um, newsflash, I hate red carpets. <laughs> Why? I, because you don't get enough time to like sit down and talk to people and really get to know them. Like mm. usually their publicists are yelling at them and all the asshole photographers are behind you like, fuck this way, Or there's like other outlets that didn't get to talk to them. So then they're screaming in your ear, asking like a question over your show. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like it. Yeah. It was my most short-lived endeavor because I was like, I don't like this. The first time I got to sit down and talk to someone, I was like, oh, my God, we're human. <laughs> I like this. Um, so now I'm really choosy. Like, I only do interviews if I really like the subject matter or I really like the person that's being interviewed. Otherwise, I say no to a lot of things because nice. hosting also isn't my primary focus. But if I were to do it, which I do. Like I interviewed Liam Cunningham this year, um, Sir Davos of Game of Thrones. He did this show called The Hot Zone with Juliana Margulies, and mm -hmm. it's a phenomenal show. Nacho was so cool. They invited me to the premiere after. It was great. Um, and Liam is a gem. And also last year for awards season, I got to interview Peter Hedges, and we developed wow. a really great rapport. Um, he actually sent me his script, Pieces of April, um, with his like shooting notes in it, which I've wow. been referencing while I'm writing. Um, and I really, I really love it. Um, it's been really great to meet people because again, I don't sit down and meet people with the intention of like hustling them for a gossip bit. I really want to know, like, how did you get here? Like what inspired this? Um, well, how was this process? Like, what was it for you? Because again, on the outside, it's easy to be like, oh, this isn't Oscar award-winning person. And it's like, yeah, but how much did they do to get there? And like, how long has it been since they worked? And like, what's it been like for them? What's been going on in their life that mm -hmm. has brought them to this point? Because I feel like all great art is brought to you by experiences that you've had. Hmm. So what's been happening to you? What research have you been doing to get to the point where you tell a story that's so celebrated? And the reason it's celebrated is because it connects with people. So how do you what, – what got you there? You know, that that really interests me. Um, and then I've been doing the Arrow after show, my God, for like five, six years. Yeah. It's I have a friend a who fandom. just co-wrote her first episode of Arrow. Oh, and she's amazing and she's such a phenomenal writer. And it's just – it seems like such a cool – like fan base and she should and come show. on she should come on the show yeah i i, I'll, I will reach out to, to her she's oh my a, gosh she's, yeah, yeah connect us. Her, i'll have her on yeah she's awesome she's the, like one of my favorite writers the fans are so dedicated they're yeah. so great like we've had the actors on and for a lot of them it's been like their first big show you know mm -hmm. um and yeah i don't know it's like a, it's such a great fan base and it's so much fun and i love superheroes so for me yeah. it's just something that i do for fun but again Doing that for fun has brought me a lot of opportunities. I've gotten a lot of live event hosting and like other hosting gigs because of this fandom and because people see you talking. And I'm usually like the one that like brings forward the more serious issues that they talk about. And I feel yeah. like they try and like cover it up. 
in like the poppy like goodness and i'm like no but they actually talked about gun reform this episode and i want to take a moment to talk about that because it's happening in this country which so. is awesome yeah it's something that we don't talk enough about and like i think it, like i was just uh at the sentinel awards last week and like it was so cool to see like a whole award show about the the side of hollywood that is actually talking about real issues yes. and it's nice that you're you're drawing that from people like it's, it's cool that you're not only approaching these interviews from an actor's process but also from this perspective of like really getting in deep with the the process and the material yeah my producer doesn't like me i usually get like <laughs> producer in my ear like um we need to keep this light and i'm like yeah, yeah it's in the episode so i'm gonna talk about it um he hates me but it's his first year of producing the show and i've been on it for five years so i'm gonna say what i want <laughs> there you go I'm going to say whatever the fuck I want because I've been doing this for a long time Good. and we have like three episodes left and <laughs> hey, the fans know exactly what they're signing up for with me. Totally. They know. Yeah. They know. They already know. They're always like, Caroline's going to say something crazy or they'll be like, oh, she's going to bring it up. She's going to bring Good. it up. Good. And I do. And I and if they like me for that, great. And if they don't, that's fine too. But I am a human being with opinions and these things affect us. And I think that if the writers and producers are taking the time to put that into the show, I'm going to take the time to talk about it. Because yeah. it's something they want the audience to realize is happening, even if they're trying to do it in like a pop culture way. Yeah. Like take a minute to take a breath to realize, eh, this might be a fun you know, Coke and popcorn type of show. You yeah. know, it's not sharp objects, but the issues are still there. It's still a smart show. Like people yeah. write off the yeah. CW shows, especially because they're focused towards women as like these like fun YA pop shows. But a they lot cover- of dudes watch them. A, and lot, a lot of dudes. dudes. Yeah, so like, many dudes. It's it's just they're so overwritten. People just kind of shrug them off. But it's it's great that there are people like you who actually care about it. Um, and I also think that it's really interesting because it feels like everything that you're doing kind of is like cross training, almost like kind of like if you're like in terms of like working out, you do one thing, you do yoga to be a better runner. And it almost seems like mm-hmm. as an actor, you're breaking down material through like these interviews and through hosting and through reading. It just seems that it seems really cool that you're doing all these things that kind of feed into each other. Um, I just feel this huge pressure within me to be creative. Like mm-hmm. that depression gets me mm-hmm. when I feel like I'm not being creative. Mm-hmm. I feel at my best when I'm performing and when I'm telling a story. Mm-hmm. Um perfect example i recently went through a breakup and the day of my breakup my best friend had a table read she was going to for this show that's being this film that's being shopped to netflix and the writers were table reading it and the same day after she invited me and i was like no i'm gonna she's like no you're coming you're just gonna sit there and you need this Mm. so that same day i guess one of the actors couldn't come in and read for whatever reason and she was like, she didn't ask me. She was like, somebody dropped out, so you're going to read this. <laughs> and she's like, I'm going to tell them that you're going to read it because you're coming and it's better for you to read than to just sit there. You're probably just going to sit depressed that you're not performing once you get there. She's like, so I'm going to make you do this. She's such a bully, but I love her. I love you, Marissa, but you are a bully <laughs> in the best way. Um, but so anyway, so I went and I did it. And um, the they have asked me to come and read the second read through of it now. So that's like great. And I felt so alive that night. Like I was crying all day. I was so upset. And I went and I did this and I felt so alive. And I looked at her and I was like, I really needed this. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, so for me, it is always um, I feel like performing gets me out of my life and into the life of others. And it it kind of takes you out of the selfishness of 
yourself and like what's going on in your micro universe and the fact that there are so many stories that people deserve to hear um, that I feel like I was definitely put here to tell the story. Yeah. And it's not only, I feel like the, the flow state that we get in as creators helps us create these worlds that allow our, our audiences to find that escapism in their own lives when they're dealing with, through breakups and other hard stuff. So it's that channeling of this, something that's bigger than ourselves is the most important thing, even in all the madness of what we can or cannot control and having to make our own stuff and really hustle and do all this other stuff. Like what matters at the end of the day is that sort of sense of escapism while telling stories that matter whether or not to get people out of their day-to-day struggles or to tackle issues bigger than ourselves. And I think that's awesome. It's so great. I'm so glad we got to catch up. I've been wanting to have you on the podcast and on uh, Kingdom Payment forever. So I'm just so impressed by everything that you're doing and grateful that you take time out of your busy schedule to, to come and stop by. No, I'm super excited. I was like, I got a same day commercial audition and I was like, I need to make this work. I really need to make this work. I can't reschedule. Um, so yeah, I just I made it work. Um, and I'm really glad that we got to catch up. I also want to like catch up, not yeah, on offline. Mic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <it's> totally. <laughs> like offline in real life, not like work. But it's really sad. I feel like the more you work, it, it's really amazing. But the less you have time for anything, and you're like, can I yeah. see you? But can we work at the same time? But can I see you? But can we work? Yeah, I know. It's it's having to that work life balance is always a struggle. I, I plan. And I talk about that a lot on this podcast. It's like, how do we have it all? And the answer is oftentimes we don't. I don't think you can. I feel like especially for this business, because there are – there's no such thing as a nine-to-five. Yeah. We're just – Entertainment is 24-7, 365. Like, yeah. You will get a call on Christmas. They don't care. <laughs> it's insane. It's Christmas. We're Jewish. <laughs> You're like – Cool, 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 cool. <laughs> if you can call me on Hanukkah, I can call you on Christmas. True, true, true. <laughs> um, you know, it's like one of those things. Um, you you just you work all the time and you do it for the love of it. And sometimes it is the immediacy of the need. Like you're yeah. usually not getting a phone call on a big holiday because people are trying to disrupt you. It's usually there is an immediacy to the yeah, need. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't know. But yeah, I'm I'm excited to write. And I, I know I really want to produce. So I'm like looking for projects to help produce at the moment because I want to put my producer's cap on and see mm-hmm. how I like it. Yeah. Because especially because I read a lot. Um, and I also really love anime. This might surprise people, but oh, I nice. love anime. Like I want to do like really dark, gritty dramas, like period pieces, drama pieces. And then I want to be like a super magical 14-year-old girl in an anime <laughs> that gets to scream magical powers. I feel like anime gets really dark. So I feel like those are dovetail sometimes. No, but I want to do like the happy go lucky anime. Oh, like, the yeah. fun, the fun anime. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like I just want to do that for a kid. Yeah. Like there is a kid out there that needs me to yell some magical phrases in their life and I want to give that to them because that could be the bug that ignites their entertainment love. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I'm excited for all the dualities of your career. <laughs> I am. I'm a bunch of contradictions, I feel. <laughs> we we all are. And that's our show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Kingdom of Pavement podcast. You can check out more articles at kingdomofpavement.com. And thank you again to Carolina Bonetti for coming on our show. You can follow her on Instagram at at Lena Bean 113. That's 
at Lina, L-I-N-A, Bean, B-E-A-N, 113. Thank you guys so much. Stay tuned for more podcast episodes, more open mic nights, more events, more cool stuff coming up. Make sure you're subscribed to our mailing list. And if you like this podcast and want to support what we're doing here, feel free to check out our website, buy a t-shirt, and maybe become a Patreon subscriber. Uh, Our Patreon subscribers get bonus content access and free tickets to all of our events. Um, So if you want to continue to support our mission of supporting and profiling rising artists in Los Angeles and beyond, go ahead and check out our website to see how you can get involved in one of many ways. Thank you again, everyone, for taking a listen, and we will see you next month.